Uh, we're continuing on in the book of Galatians. Uh, as Dotsie said, my name is, is Patrick, just uh, one, of the, one of the team here. Um, if, you can't, if you've never met me and you can't tell, I am American. Um, I think like three or four times in the past three weeks, people have mistaken me for Irish um, while I was speaking, which really confused me. I just blame it on the mask, like muffling my voice a bit, um, but I take it as a compliment nonetheless. Um, if you are Irish, come find me after this. I'll just have you say my name Patrick a few times because I just, I love hearing the name Patrick with an Irish accent. It just, it feels like it fits. That has nothing to do with where I'm going, but good morning. So we're continuing on in this letter. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul, an early follower of Jesus and leader in the early church, uh, wrote to some churches in Galatia. Um, we've kind of labeled this continuing in grace. Um, I was tempted to subtitle it, Paul the Peacemaker. Now, if you've been tracking with us the past few weeks, you might scratch your head a bit. He, he seems a bit feisty, to say the least, right? And you'll, you'll hear that when Noah comes up and reads in a bit. Um, but I decided to go with gospel unity, but I'll, I'll explain why I was tempted to say Paul the Peacemaker, because I do think Paul is being a peacemaker, um, over this past year and a half or so, it's been quite the um, turbulent um, time, to say the least. Um, I was back in the States when the pandemic happened. I was also back in the States when the Black Lives Matter protest broke out. I was actually driving from Dallas, Texas through, uh, through the night and, and saw, I didn't see the protest itself as I was driving through, but saw graffiti and various things um, as I went through some of the major cities in which protests were happening. And it created a lot of conversations on a number of different things. And one of the, the, the questions or, or one of the things that intrigued me in reflecting upon this was how quickly people would accuse protesters of causing dissent, of causing disagreement, of not being peacekeepers. My mind went back to a, uh, I wasn't around at this time, this was from the 60s, um, but this is a uh, comic that appeared, I, I believe, uh, down in Birmingham, um, not UK, US, um, about MLK, and it was kind of a satirical thing, um, uh, critiquing him for, for saying he was marching peacefully because some, some disruption happened during his marches as well. And what I found really interesting about this thing, this thing was actually sent to him. It was, clipped, it was cut out of a newspaper, written along the side. Uh, this text here was written by, uh, by someone and sent it to Martin Luther King Jr. And it says, how can you, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, be such a deceitful hypocrite? You're not fooling anyone but yourself with your nauseating talk of nonviolence. And it went on. Today, Martin Luther King Jr. is remembered for a peacemaker. Why? I think he gets at this point in his letter from a Birmingham jail. He says, I have, uh, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive, which is the absence of, absence of tension to a positive peace, 
which is the presence of justice. Let me read that again. It says, says, this white moderate who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. My mind went here as I was reading Galatians 2 because I think what, what we're getting at here is Paul is fighting hard for unity in the church. But you have to fight for unity because there is a unity that's not worth having. So thinking of Paul, the Apostle Paul, in terms of a peacemaker as we read this, I'm going to invite Noah to come on up and read the awesome 10-year-old, as his shirt says. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedoms we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in, give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Just just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for God who was at work in Peter and as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace to me, grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Thank you, Noah. And thank you, David, for taking over control of the slides. I forgot to, uh, to take care of that. In a way, Paul comes out swinging. He, he is eager to fight, to defend the gospel. But even in the midst of that, that passion, he first went privately to the leaders in Jerusalem to see if they were on the same page. To map out where I'm going in this talk, and we're going to have a, a bit of a dialogue at the end with a, a couple people from the church, um, I'll just kind of tell you where I'm going. Where I'm going is that in the gospel, we are united. We find unity in the gospel. In the gospel, we find space. In the gospel, we are for each other. In the gospel, we belong. 
So let's look first at, in the gospel, we are united. We read that there's one gospel from God for all people. I'm not going to spend too much time on this point because, because Peter gave a message a couple weeks ago um, focusing on this idea that this is a gospel from God. But very quickly, we see, we see it reiterated when it says he, he receives a revelation and then he goes up to Jerusalem. And he presents um, to them the gospel um, that he had been preaching among the Gentiles. He does this to, to, the, to the other apostles, some of the disciples of Jesus. And it says, as for those who were held in high esteem, these are the apostles, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Um, it sounds a bit cheeky, I guess. But I, I think what he's getting at there is, is this idea that it, it doesn't matter. Um, the gospel is not gatekeeped by people. It's determined by God. It's given by God. So it didn't make a difference who they were. But he makes note that they were held in high esteem. They were leaders in the early church. They added nothing to my message. So what do we see? We see there is one gospel from God for all people. We'll see later that Peter is going to the Jewish Christians. Paul is going to the primarily Gentile Christians, and yet they have the same gospel. So what is the gospel? If we're going to talk about gospel unity today, we probably should uh, have an understanding of what the gospel is. Well, we can look to, to uh, uh, the rest of Paul's writings to, to get a, a broader picture, a better picture of what he means by gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, which many scholars believe is a, an ancient Christian creed that would predate this writing, perhaps to even a few years after um, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then it goes on to say all the people that Jesus appeared to bodily. So we can call this the, the gospel event, right? The, the historical facts of what happened that make the gospel true. But what else is the gospel? Well, we see in the letter to the Romans, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which interestingly is actually a quote from the Old Testament that Jesus is Yahweh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is the gospel? Well, perhaps I can explain it this way. It's the good news of God's gift of forgiveness. We often in church use the word grace, right? Getting something you don't deserve, a gift. The good news of God's gift of forgiveness, restoration, adoption, and eternal life in this life and the next through the death and resurrection of Jesus given freely to all who turn and trust in him. You might be sitting here today and you may have, have never heard of the gospel. Perhaps you've encountered it before, but you, you kind of stand at a distance from it. It's one thing to know with your head, but James, the, the brother of Jesus, writes, you know, even the demons believe and they tremble. 
No, we must relate ourselves to the truth of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his offer of forgiveness and restoration to be in a right relationship with God, with the creator of the universe. And it is through that that we are adopted. I, I wanted the word adopted in here because I think this connects to unity. We are adopted into the family of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the book Life Together says, says, Christian unity or Christian fellowship is a fact. It's not simply something we try to work towards. It's a state of affairs. All who have turned and entrusted in Jesus for salvation are part of the same family. We have unity in that. But of course, practically, we have to work toward a unity together as well. So this is the gospel that Paul is fighting for. Why is circumcision such a big issue? Well, I think circumcision is a a placeholder. It's it's what represents the Mosaic law, this this old covenant, this old way of God doing things with with the people of Israel. And if the Gentiles must first be circumcised, what that says is the Gentiles must first become Jewish to become Christians. And Paul says in Galatians 2.5, We did not give in to them for a moment, for that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why is Paul feisty? Because he's fighting for you. He's fighting for your freedom. Freedom that, that we're, we're not meant to, to strive and to try to earn our salvation. That we have to keep working and wondering if we stand right before God. No, we turn, we trust, we surrender, and we're declared right with God. Paul is passionate about the power of the gospel and about the unity of the church. Because if you have to strive to be part of a community, you're always going to be wondering, am I in? But when you have membership based upon a gift, there's no questions asked. You belong. In the gospel, we are united. Gospel unity must be uncompromising on God's grace. Now, key in on on the, the qualification there, it must be uncompromising on God's grace. We are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. The distinction there is a peacekeeper gets conformity by force. You might bring in soldiers to to keep the peace, to keep the rule of law. Peacemakers create a culture filled with grace in which there is unity based upon that grace that shared sense of belonging. So we fight for gospel unity. How? How do we fight? This might seem counterintuitive. By surrendering. We fight by surrendering to God's grace. How do we do that? Well, it might look like this. How about you guys say this with me? I like, I like a little participation. Ready? I know this, this might you know, hurt some egos here, but say, I am not good enough. And that's good news. We do it again. I am not good enough. And that's good news. 
Why? Because if I'm not good enough, then you don't have to be good enough. Grace, not merit. If it's merit, it becomes a competition. It becomes a checklist of whether or not you belong. But the church's unity begins with the cross. It begins with a gift of grace that we didn't deserve. In the gospel, we are united. But also in the gospel, we find space. I'm going to run through a few things in this point, and I'm going to bring a couple, couple people up to discuss this a bit more. So bear with me if I seem like I'm going a little quick, but we'll unpack it some more. In the gospel, we find space. What do I mean by that? But the gospel unity creates space for diverse expressions of gospel living. We see this in Galatians um, 2, not 2.10. I think this is like 2, 5, and 6. I must have messed up my citation there. But it says, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, the Jewish believers, uh, was also at work in me as an apostle or messenger to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish. James, Cephas, the guy Peter, familiar with him, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now what we see is, is separate Christian communities developed, which I believe are predominantly, and we're going to see next week that there's interaction between the two. But this is, I believe, primarily a cultural and a, a geographical thing. And it's not Paul's primary concern to reflect currently upon what does it look like you know, when they all come together because he thinks Jesus is coming back real, real soon. And he's just like, let's get the gospel out there, right? And so we can, we can reflect more upon, okay, what does it mean when, when the Jews and the Gentiles or, or the Scots and the, the English you know, intersect? I don't know which is more difficult. No, just, just kidding. I, am I allowed to say that as American? I don't know if I am. Key on this part, it says, when they recognized the grace given to me. What did Peter do? What did these apostles do? They recognized God working in diverse ways. And that God's grace was at work in Paul in a very different way, in a very different context. But it was God's grace equally nonetheless. So in the gospel, we find space. There is one gospel from God for all people expressed in diverse ways. A, a friend and pastor who's actually visited Hope City before, Andrew Ong, um, he, he was writing a blog. He's an um, American-born Chinese uh, pastor um, serving in a very diverse um, church community in Berkeley, California. And he, he wrote a blog reflecting upon um, how hard it can be um, to have a diverse community. And he says, it's hard to be a family when you don't inhabit the same story. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds. Um, we all have different kind of narratives of our lives, stories we tell, you know, hopes and values. Uh, it's also hard to be a family when you don't speak the same language. You know, this could be very, very literal, but it could also be, you know, maybe, maybe you're new to church and there's terms I'm using that you're like, I've never heard these before. What is he saying? And I apologize for that. <laughs> so we have to start a work of translation even if we're all speaking the same literal language. Sometimes we have to translate 
cultural gestures. It's hard to be a family when you don't share the same consumption habits and preferences. Some of us like football, some of us don't. I've learned to to limit my sports analogies in this congregation. You know, some of us like hikes, some of us don't. Some of us, some of us like watching TV shows, some of us don't, right? And it can, be, it can be a strain on unity when you just, you don't seem to enjoy the same things. So what do you do? It's also hard to be a family when you don't share the same views and values. I loved uh, the, the way uh, Andrew went on to say this. He said, people are constantly pulling the church in different directions based on their various views and values. And what's more, many of these directions, even those that seem to be opposites, are often actually good and worthwhile directions. The difficulty is in discerning the best timing of each distinct direction and how vigorously we ought to pull. When we reflect upon uh, the situation of the intera- the, the confrontation, if you want to call it, between the Jews and the Gentiles, we should realize that circumcision wasn't bad. It was even required by God for thousands of years, along with many other aspects of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses that was given for the people of Israel to follow. Circumcision was a sign of being a follower of God. They did it in obedience to what God asked of them. In that sense, it is much like baptism for us today. We, we choose to be baptized to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jews circumcised to identify with the people of God. However, we must be willing to let go of what was once good when God asks us to. And even be willing to hold present goods loosely when love calls us to do so. Of course, never in disobedience to God, but where there is genuine Christian liberty, Christian freedom, we need to have space for diversity, if you would, space for, for grace. How do we begin this process? Well, perhaps we could think of it in three phases, making space for, for difference. What does that look like? What does it look like to create a welcoming environment, to to have an empty seat at the table that someone feels comfortable coming to and sitting at? But it's got to go beyond that, right? It's one thing, imagine going to a table, right, and you you invite someone to sit there, right, and you just don't speak with them, right? Hey, they're at the table, they should be content with that, right? No. No, we need to engage in dialogue, and sometimes dialogue, I chose confrontation for a reason. Right? Confrontations don't have to be bad. What I want to get, maybe I should even use the term collision, right? Cultures need to collide if we're going to ever get to the third step of shaping a shared story. Now, we have the shared story that starts with the gospel, right? But if we're going to be, practically speaking, a, a, a unified community with a, a similar purpose and vision, We need some kind of shared story, and that comes out a bit in Hope City, I think, in some shared language that we develop, but we often talk about um, in our monthly meetings. Things like, bless, begin with prayer, listen with care, eat with them, serve with love, share your story. Reflecting upon this bit more, I I think 
Oftentimes, in this context, we're often thinking of evangelism, right? But I think these steps also apply to developing healthy Christian unity. Reflecting it upon a bit more, how do we create space? Well, I think it starts with understanding the gospel and that it's the gospel of grace and not merit. It's not a competition, right? It's not about what you do, but it's about what has been done. And then we have to recognize that we have a culture. There's a, a kind of a funny old uh, David Foster Wallace analogy he used at a commencement speech in which he describes a fish swimming along and two other fish swim past it. And one fish goes to the other fish and says, hey, how's the water? And the other fish is like, oh, that's fine. And the two fish swim on by and the other fish turns to the other fish and says, what the heck is water? Culture is what we swim in, Right? So we're often very unaware of our own assumptions, our own values. Things just seem normal, right? Circumcision seemed normal. To reject circumcision seemed to be to reject God. And so there's a confrontation that had to happen first between the Jewish people and the gospel, and then the Jewish people and the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Decenter yourself. So, okay, how do we, we move into this confrontation with difference? I like this old word, decenter yourself, right? Because it's not about completely forgetting yourself, right? You have your own personality, but it's about making sure you're not in the center. It's about valuing other people, right? Valuing God first and then others, then yourself. Listen and share with an air towards love, if you like academic lingo, I love the phrase hermeneutics of love. Hermeneutics is just a fancy word for how we interpret things. And I think we can often forget that every interaction with people is an interpretation of something. We are coming with a particular framework, a particular understanding that we interpret. If someone gives me a rose, I interpret it probably differently if it's red, if it's yellow, if it's white. Do people still follow those rules? I don't know. I don't get roses. And don't, don't bring me roses, please. But we all have cultural expectations, and I'm sure we can go story after story after story of different cultures, right? For example, I had to learn very quickly in my study space over here not to uh, do two backwards, so the peace sign backwards. Um, we do that in America, and it means nothing. Like, like it's, it's like, hey, bye, see you later. Um, and I quickly had to learn, oh, that's offensive here. <laughs> you know, I had to relearn <laughs> how to translate my communication. So I need to decenter myself. I need to listen and share with an air towards love. I need patience and hope other people have patience with me to allow for misunderstanding mistakes, recognize and celebrate God's grace in others, and then organically seek and shape a shared, Why do you, a shared story. Why do I say organically? Because I think we need to be careful not to force it. Um, you know, I, I don't know how your families are, but sometimes forced fun time does not always work well. <laughs> Right? If you have kind of an authoritarian figure coming and saying, oh, our family's going to do this and do that and do this and do that, maybe there's a time and a place for it, right? But when you have a huge, diverse family, right, it can become very difficult and actually be an impediment to true unity if you don't let it organically grow through a process of listening, learning, and changing. So I'm actually going to invite David um, and Ezra up right now. And... Uh, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. We're going to have a conversation on um, this. Oh, yes, right there. So if you guys could just introduce yourselves um, very quickly. 
Uh, my name is David Mensch, and uh, we've just returned to Scotland after a 20-year gap. Uh, and we have worked internationally, uh, originally from the States, but have lived in Scotland, Germany, and Sweden uh, in trying to build cross-cultural communities. Cool. Hi, I'm Ezra from Singapore. I'm currently doing my um, seminary in, at ETS now. Uh, my wife and my kids will be flying over in December. Yep, um, so I'm alone now. <laughs> yep. We can't wait to meet him. Yep, yep. That's if you haven't left us by then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, how, how do we, um, thinking about this, how do we recognize that we have a culture? Like, what, what, what practices would you recommend? Or um, have you ever had a, had, a, had a moment in which you've been confronted with, oh, I do have a culture? Um, yeah. I think typically it's the first time somebody notices in the comments that you have an accent because <laughs> that's what you grew up with. And I don't have an accent. Re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't uh, until you came here. <laughs> Uh, and so there's this noticing of differences. Sometimes it happens when you get married and there's a family culture and you join another family and realize, oh, they don't do things the way that we used to do them mm-hmm. in my home growing up. And so I think there is this observation is probably the first bit, but then also the fact of when you uh, do a cultural faux pas and you actually stumble into something and goof, as mm-hmm. you described with your uh, hand signals. Yes. Um, I guess... For, for, for me, it would be coming here, understanding the different culture, the different church culture. Yeah, because the church culture in Singapore is very different from, from here. Yeah, so getting used to it again. Um, no, not again. Getting used to a different uh, way of, of worshipping, of, of uh, many things, interacting with, with people, and of course, making new friends as well, new community, yeah. Cool. Um, what uh, advice might you give someone who... Um, and I think this is something, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I think we need to create a habit of uh, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Because, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the only way to truly be welcoming to people, you know, who, who come from very different backgrounds, right? Because not, not, not everything's going to be comfortable with us, and that's okay, right? So how do we, how do, what are some tips for becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable, would you say? Um, just very quickly, I remember this um, conference I was attending in, in Singapore. It's called the Love Singapore Conference. It's where um, churches in Singapore gather together. Um, yeah, so that took about 20 years for it to develop because it's quite difficult uh, where different denominations come together. Um, and Dr. Suzette um, Hetting, sorry, I can't pronounce her last name, but um, yeah, she was, she, was, she was doing a, a teaching and she talks about. Um, um, the Bible culture, how, how individual churches or, or denomination and, and people from different cultures, from different countries, putting aside um, our differences and focus on the Bible culture. Because I think like what um, um, Patrick has, has mentioned just now, um, the gospel, the gospel is, is unity. And, and, and the Bible only talks about unity within brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And if we put aside our differences and focus on the primary purpose of, of, um, of, of unity, because the gospel is unity, um, we believe in the same Jesus. We believe that Christ died. It's all the same. And everything else would be secondary. And, and coming together, um, and, and that makes a difference when, when brothers and sisters come together um, and, and build that community as, as, uh, as a family of Christ, yeah. 
I think one of the things that's important is to know what your goal is. If a goal is diversity and, um, and a broad umbrella, then that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a diverse church. What happens is we are often a monocultural church that we are welcoming to others from different experiences. Mm-hmm. So we would say, all right, this is still a, a Scottish church, mm-hmm. but how does that, what is a Scottish church? There is no such thing, actually, that exists. There's a church centered around the gospel that is expressed in a Scottish culture or a German culture or a Singaporean culture. And so you have to understand what those pieces are. So then the aspect is most of us from our human nature actually think everyone else thinks and believes like us. Uh, I heard it said once that there was a, a woman named Esther, and she had a very small world. It was bounded north, south, east, and west by Esther. So often it is the aspect that we feel everything is like us. So a practical tip is knowing the goals that you're aiming for, focus on the gospel, but being embracing other cultures and expressions, and then also the, what you've talked about is not being the right or the wrong of that aspect, mm. that there are right and wrong things as far as the gospel is concerned, but not mm. as far as cultural expression, because culture to me is an expression of my own selfishness and my own humanity. It's mm. just how that that has played out. And Christ has to rub that off, have changed it for me in his image. Mm. And then I have that image that I share with Ezra and with you and with others. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, so thinking on, um, I think it was a slide before, um, two before, um, reflecting on these, these, these four kind of categories about a shared story um, and the various things that cause difficulties, um, what, would you, what, would you, what advice would you give to Hope City or to, to anyone you're, you're talking with about beginning the process of, of navigating some of these um, with, the, with the goal of, of trying to get to a more expansive shared story as a church? Uh, probably uh, going go-karting with Matt might help. Um, I think the aspect of that I have to actually get out of myself. I have to invite people. I have to be uh, mm-hmm. trying to uh, have hospitality. That's why hospitality is so extremely important in the New mm-hmm. Testament, uh, that, you, that you eat together and that you have shared experiences. When you're creating an, a new culture within a church, as we are here at Hope City, then it means that you're going to have to have more experiences together, whether it's hikes or walks or experiences together, but that you don't just enjoy it for the event. You actually ask really great questions, and that's how I learn about people around me, is that I learn to ask open-ended questions and empathize and learn from their story and find it's often uh, either very different or not very different from mine in appreciating mm-hmm. that aspect. Yeah. I guess like what um, you mentioned earlier, being comfortable with being uncomfortable um, and, and one of the things, like what David mentioned, is um, um, hospitality. Yeah. So I remember in, uh, um, in, in Singapore, what one of our pastors has taught us, which we, we practice often, is um, food. You know? um, so he, he always says this, if you read the Bible, the story of Christ and the disciples are always, there's always food around the Last Supper. Right. Um, um, no, I don't think it's the best for us, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so food breaks down the walls. You know, when there's food, it breaks down the walls. People get comfortable. And 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 for myself, as 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 an Asian, um, you know, there's always this saying in in, in Mandarin. 
I can't really speak Mandarin well, but there's this saying in, in Mandarin that food brings the family together, brings the people together. And, and that's one of the things with hospitality is, um, yep, there's food, the walls are down, we, well, I hope we get vulnerable um, and, and, and share life, or, or what we call it, we do church wherever we are. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, do you mind sharing the, uh, in our conversation on Thursday, do you want to just share a bit about communion, the observation you made on that as a picture of unity and diversity? I, I really love that. So last Sunday was our first time to celebrate communion uh, with Hope City live. Okay, it's one thing when you're sitting at home in your lounge and you've managed to gather your own uh, elements. And so uh, I was so struck by the fact of when I walk up to the table, there is unity around what the expression of communion is, what it represents to us as the people of faith in remembering Christ's death and resurrection. But there was wine or juice. There was um, gluten-free or uh, gluten-filled, um, and that's an expression of diversity that is, that is allowed and yet still celebrating around the aspect of our unity of understanding what, the, what we are celebrating together. Thank you. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Yeah, we could just set it on down. Cool. As, uh, as we reflect and uh, wrap up today, uh, Matt's going to be coming up in a second to uh, sing a song. Um, let's reflect on unity. Um, we talked, I focused mostly on kind of diversity and starting this process of creating space, which I think we are already doing as a church, but I think it's something uh, we can always um, work on doing better and being intentionally. Oftentimes, we, we use the phrase belong, right? We speak of this area of what does it mean to belong, um, I think our obligation is, is in the gospel we are for each other. Gospel unity binds us together in unity. Though through Galatians, we're going to be talking a lot about freedom. Um, I love the analogy of a train on the tracks, right? A train is not free when it's off the tracks. A train is free when it's on the tracks, right? And what are the tracks of the Christian life? It's love, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. To love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And all grounded in the gospel. So as, as Matt comes up, let's reflect upon um, this point. I love uh, this quote from Tim Keller. He says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in, our, in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And if we're that loved by God, we shouldn't have an issue loving each other. So. Thanks, Pat. Let's stand and sing together. This is uh, a new song that was written by um, some of our team.